Good morning, lads. How are you, Jaron and Owen? If you start the day with a good energy. Good morning, Jaron and Owen. How are we doing, lads? Yeah, good. Off the ball, breakfast. Live every weekday morning from 7.30 on your smart speaker. Just ask Alexa to play OTB Sports Radio. There's no filler. Off the ball, breakfast. With Optimum Nutrition, there's more of you in you. Unlock it with the world's number one sports nutrition brand. Now, Energy Ambassador and former Ireland Rugby International Fiona Coughlin is speaking as part of Energia's Half a Fan launch. As proud partner of Ireland men's and women's rugby teams, Energia understands that being a partner to both teams means showing support for both. So don't be half a fan. You can check out more with the hashtag half a fan as well. Fiona, a very good morning to you. How are things? Morning. Good, thanks. Uh, the Half a Fan initiative, this is going to become a big thing in about a month's time. We're still over a month before the Women's Six Nations, Ireland away to France, and I think it's the 23rd of March. Uh, any inklings as to how Ireland are, are set this year? It's obviously going to be the exact opposite of how the men's team would have approached this year. The men's team obviously going into this year's championship, wondering how do we back up the Grand Slam from last year's Six Nations. The women hoping to get off the bottom of the table in this year's championship. Yeah, look, obviously last year was really disappointing in terms of um, performances and results. They went to the WXV3, uh, won that competition. And since then, they've been in a Celtic Cup Challenge competition. Teams have been split Ulster and Leinster together and Munster and Connacht together and the Wolfhounds and Clovers. And look, the standard of it isn't yet where it needs to be in terms of pushing on and, and trying to play catch up to the likes of England and, and France. But I think it gives girls another opportunity to play at, at a higher level week in, week out and put their hands up for selection going for that national team and Scott Bemond has probably a tough tough selection task he knows the squad that he brought away to Dubai with him but now he has to see what else is out there and I think the thing is the quality we, we do have quality players out there it's just getting them quality competition week in week out to prepare them to go into the Six Nations and um, you know having those three home games against Italy, uh, Wales and Scotland I think you know, if they target maybe one or two of those I, I think that's a good starting point from where they're at and yeah obviously you're away to France and, and England and you're playing in Twickenham against England They're, that's probably that is beyond probably this squad at the moment so it, it's focusing on those home games and um, you know I think as I said targeting one or two of them anyway to get the wins there would be huge and uh, there's there's lots of new faces around, lots of new faces coming in. So I, I'd say there be there will be a couple of new pl- players that come through in, in this Six Nations. So that's that's hugely encouraging. And I think just the landscape is changing regarding the women's game and, and where it's at. And there is more of um I suppose succession planning and, and planning about you know the future of the game. And we've the under 18s, under 20s uh, that will feed into the national team. So like it is it is difficult to know exactly where they're at. But I hope they'll forge on from that WXV win and, and as I said target those home games and hopefully we'll have a good fan base out supporting them Absolutely there's going to be a lot of attention obviously on the players that Ireland are going to be missing due to sevens commitments this year and, and that's just been a, a theme that's been around for a number of years at this point so it's kind of something that Irish rugby needs to live with what I kind of find more interesting and Cameron made this point in the, in the meeting pre-show is just about what Ireland are producing in terms of 15s rugby at the moment from what you're seeing from your knowledge of uh, playing in the pack like what, what to what extent is Ireland producing maybe front row forwards second row forwards as well that are of an international standard, the work that goes into producing specialised players in the women's game and how Ireland are going on that pathway at the moment because it was a big, big issue for them in last year's Six Nations. 
Yeah, look, the focus, obviously, it's been well documented, hasn't been there with regards to the women's game and the development of it. And it was very, everything was very ad hoc. There was stuff happening at every level, but it was very ad hoc and it wasn't streamlined. Um, I think now it's de definitely kind of at the forefront of the mind, certainly at the IRFU and then the provinces. And I've, I'm in schools rugby and I definitely see more and more players now coming to school and it is their sport of choice as opposed to them waiting to college. So we are getting players younger and it's just making sure that those pathways are really clear. Um, in terms of this prop going forward, like one player, if you talk about second row players, Ruth Campbell, she featured for Leinster. Uh, she was the Irish under-20s last year. She featured for Leinster. She's in the Celtic Cup squad uh, for the Wolfhounds, I think she's going to feature certainly this year. If you look back to the props, obviously young Sive McGrath had a tough introduction to international rugby last year, but that's that's where the game was at. We didn't have these players coming through, but she certainly looks, looks like someone that has the potential to step up, but she does need that specialised coaching. Likewise, uh, Nemo Dowd as well, another prop coming through. Um, so there, there is potential there. They're not world-class players yet. They need more and more time at, at the high level, but there is certainly potential. What was your experience in terms of your coaching for your position when, when you were growing up? Like you, you hear it from women and men who, who played the game that, you know, um, when you're growing up, nobody necessarily wants to be a prop forward. And it just it's, it's kind of something that, that happens in, in your mid-teens, potentially, as, as you get older. I'm just interested in, in your lived experience of that element of things. Yeah, I suppose in terms of specialised coaching, there wasn't a huge amount. Um, you know, you'd do your scrums and there wouldn't be any technical kind of, I'm talking at club level here, there probably wouldn't be a huge amount of technical um, feedback given. But then as you stepped up, I suppose one season in particular, we had Justin Fitzpatrick, ex-international uh, prop him, and we, um, he was in with the Irish team. What year was that? God, I can't even remember what year it was. But it got to a point that he needed more time with us. So there was a cohort of about four of us that drove up to Dungannon every Wednesday night just to focus on scrummaging on the front row, um, and we did that for, God, the whole season. And, you know, that's that's what it took. We needed it. Um, and I think that's what it does take. And But then it takes opportunities to play at that higher level, to learn um, and to learn the feel, what you're able to do, and then get feedback on it afterwards. You know, I, I think uh, Dennis Fogarty now obviously is in with the Irish women's team but it has to start before that like it has to it has to be at club level it has to be at interpro level that they're getting technical feedback and um, not just the front rows likewise the out halves that's been a, an issue for Ireland as well so I, I do think that we're seeing more and more been put into that role at a younger age and now it's about making sure that they get the right technical feedback and then likewise have an opportunity to play higher level games You'd hope it, it's um, it's at, definitely at that level anyway with regards to the national setup because even when you look at the the men's side of things, I'm sure when Andrew Porter makes the shift across to Lucid, the, the amount of uh, coaching resources that had to go in to ensure that that happened seamlessly would have been huge. And even now, like I mean, he, he he's I'm sure he's had conversations in camp in Leinster and Ireland over the course of the season as to why certain referees are pinging him on on uh, on certain decisions in in the scrum as well. So it doesn't necessarily. It's not a, a women-specific thing here. It's it's at every level of the game. It's such a, a technical area of the sport that coaching needs to be present right the way through, not just at the, the professional level, I suspect. Yeah, look, I don't know if you're going to get it, how in-depth you're going to get it at, at club level and like lies with the boys and men's game, how in-depth um, front row coaching that they are getting. But certainly as you step up into the provincial system, it has to be there and, and 
definitely than in Ireland. But like, I suppose the women's game is so difficult. Even the provincial system, they're not in week in, week out. They're only there for a short amount of time to play the interpros. Then they're back to their clubs again. And are, obviously now we have the contract to players. So hopefully those contract to players are getting more exposure to that technical uh, coaching that they need in the front row. The likes of Linda Jungang, she's been obviously contracted there for the last year and a bit. So um hopefully that they are getting that at a national level but yeah it has to be more consistent and it has to be from a younger age as well but that's what I would hope that that this whole oh, the overview that the RFU were taking in conjunction with the provinces that that will be there that they're, they're IDing players at a younger age that potentially can make it and giving them that technical coaching and feedback and then as I said opportunities to play at a high level as for this year's Six Nations, uh, Fiona, starting next month, are you are you more optimistic uh, for an improved showing based on last year? Because I think the support was there. You saw it in the England and France games, like the the players were really well supported, but it was just such a disappointing showing, like you like you said on national TV. Have you seen signs in the last year, maybe even behind the scenes, that there is something to be optimistic about here? Like there was resounding victories over Kazakhstan and Colombia, a hard fought victory over Spain. So there's a bit of um a sample size to go on but what's your feeling heading into the Six Nations this time? Like even last year I know the results probably didn't show but I I don't think we're that we are far away from France and England there's no denying that but I don't think we're that far off the likes of Italy and Scotland Wales gave us a hammer in last year in the first round out but I think I don't know because of that Celtic Challenge Cup um, I don't know whether the, the Irish players were a bit not deluded but kind of didn't know the standard that they should have been at and they were blown away by a Welsh squad that I don't think they're necessarily better players than we have available to us in Ireland. It's just probably they had a bit more time together. It was they were probably a year ahead of us in terms of they had gone to the World Cup together and they'd spent a huge amount of time together, um, which the Irish girls didn't. They'd only been in camp a few times. So as I said, I I'm optimistic in terms of I think that the potential is there. I'm optimistic in terms of the IRFU, I think now definitely have a plan for the 15s game and where it's going, where it's at. I think this year it's still going to be difficult. Those games, those home games are going to be tough and as a result of that, I, I do think the fans are going to be hugely important and I think moving the game around, you know, you like to have a home base but I actually think moving the game around if you can entice people to come to International Rugby, Cork, Dublin or Belfast and like make it a family day. I think the ticket pricing is good. I think it's still interna- it's an international game like to allow young people an opportunity to go to an international game whether it's men or whether it's women I, I think that's brilliant for kids to be able to go to that and I think the atmosphere around women's the women's game in terms of the event it's more of a festival side thing than, than at the Aviva so I think there's huge opportunities there for a family day out and um, hopefully then the players will put in the performances that we, we didn't see last year in the Six Nations hopefully the performances will improve so would you be right to say that last year's Six Nations was more of an underperformance than an overall issue with the state of the Irish women's 15s I think it was both. I think we were at that point because of where the lack of support for the 15s game at that point. And then as a result of that, I don't think players were prepared properly for, for going into that Six Nations. Um, and they don't didn't know what was expected. Them. I, I hope now, so many of them are now contracted. Um, as I said, that WXV win, the Celtic Challenge, hopefully now they have an expectation and know what is expected at, at that international level. But I think it was because of the underinvestment and, and planning for so many years that we got to that point of, um, of last year's performances. 
we did want to get your uh, take on a couple of captaincy bits and pieces because Caelan Dowers and to be fair Peter Mann who was in the, the headlines beforehand for being the, the, new, the new captain for, for Ireland as well uh, but just on, on Caelan Dowers he was speaking in the aftermath of the game against Italy just about I guess the nerves that come with being captain and just the, the hugely different uh, element to being a captain for the national team when you see those comments and when you see that reaction from Caelan Dowers are, are you nodding along yourself thinking to yourself I, I know exactly how that feels Caelan Oh, yeah, certainly. And particularly the first couple of times out, like your whole role changes in terms of like you're now that vocal point of the team, you know, before you go out, the last words are probably spoken by the captain. You're communicating with the referee. He obviously has to do the whole media thing in the lead into the game where previously you're just focused on your game and you you certainly grow into it and, and you know kind of what's expected. And obviously when it's your first time, everything's new it's the newness to it while it's a huge honour it's still you're, it's nerve wracking and you you want to do right by the team and, and by the supporters as well so look I'm, I've no doubt Caelan Doris um, will certainly grow into that and by all accounts his pre-match speech was excellent as well and he'll have learned from the likes of Peter and Johnny Sexton before him as well and he'll take little nuggets from everyone he's been captained and led by uh, throughout the years but, but he'll create his own, own path if he does end up being long-term captain of Ireland from your own memories, do you remember being more nervous before your first cap in 2003 or before your first time as captain? Um, God, <laughs> 2003 seems so long ago. Yeah, um, like it, it's different nerves. Um, it's it's the same in the sense of it's the newness and you, you kind of don't know what to expect. But I suppose my place in squad when I became captain, I... I probably I'd been vice captain for a number of years beforehand. I probably had a very vocal role within the squad anyway. And um, so in that sense it didn't change. I suppose with the communication with the referee as well. I was vice captain under Sarah Jane Belton, who was fullback. So a, a lot of the communication with the referee was actually through me anyway, and um, being in the pack. So I suppose uh, some of that didn't change, but you still want to put you still want to put your best foot forward for the squad and, and do the best by them. And trust me, I, I had enough teammates who tell me if I was saying something or doing something wrong. So I, I'm sure he does t- it too. So um I don't I, I can't really remember my first cap. I was nervous, but it's just the newness and the sense of not knowing what's expected of you, but you, you get you soon you soon learn. And as I said, you have enough teammates around to to tell you where you're going right and going wrong. That's the thing. It's it, it like you just touched on exactly. It's two different newnesses basically. Like when you're a captain, does it feel like your own game itself is kind of further down the pecking order of priorities, and you do feel an overwhelming responsibility to to play on behalf of your teammates rather than just for yourself. Like, I'm very interested in that psychology behind being appointed the captain. Well, I think first and foremost, your performance and your game has to be where it was. Like, you can't kind of let that slip because then you are doing your squad a disservice by not doing your fundamental role of being the best player that you can be in your position. Um, So I, I don't think you can kind of let that slip because if you do, well, then fundamentally you're not doing the best by your team. But yeah, like every decision or every conversation that you have is about the squad and um, what's the best for the squad. And so that kind of your thought process change and even your communication with with the coaches, like in in terms of like what's best, the direction of where we're going and what's best for the squad. Do they need this time off? Do we need to go harder and stuff? You're the first point of call. But like, 
it, it, within a squad, obviously captain, but you've seen her leadership group as well. So you'd be bouncing ideas off them. So it's not just you either. And you'd have those support roles. Like I had Joy, Neville, Lynn Cantwell, and obviously Caelan, I think Hugo Keenan is in that senior leadership group. And there'd be a couple of others as well. So, you know, it won't, all that pressure won't be put on him to be just the one for the team. A lot will come back to the senior leadership group. On the men's Six Nations so far, Fiona, it does kind of feel as if Andy Farrell has found himself in the perfect position right now. Obviously two wins from two, but there would have been conversations we'd have had before the start of the Six Nations, you know, asking should should Andy Farrell stick or twist with last year because it was a very good year, but obviously the World Cup disappointment, maybe you need a bit of freshness. As it's turned out, his hand has been forced in every position other than the front row. He's been down bodies either through retirement or through injuries, like from or from the, de- the decisions he's made. Let's not forget, like the decision to start Joe McCarthy in week one. Obviously, Sexton's uh, not not there anymore, so they've had to change out half. Back row has been hit with a couple of injuries. He's had to change there midfield, obviously with no ring rows, no Mac Hansen on the wing, and now no Hugo Keenan. In a way, like you don't want to say that injuries are welcomed or, or people being missing should be welcomed, but it's sort of a perfect post World Cup hangover type of Six Nations so far. Yeah, but you have to credit the work that they've done in the lead up, like since, you know, I suppose, look at Joe McCarthy. He went on that tour to New Zealand, played the Maori midweek. You look at that Emerging Ireland tour, uh, Jack Crowley was there. You look at the likes that he picked Gibson Park and he's sitting on the bench for Leinster and plucks, throws him into the Irish squad. The like of Max Hansen taking out of Connacht his first season there and then stars for Ireland. So, you know, a, a lot of work has gone in already and they're very aware of who they have and the depth that they have. And like, I'm really interested to see if Hugo is out this the next match who goes in there is it Frawley is it Larmer like do they move around or what way it is going to be or obviously there's talk of Crowley as well who I think should stay at 10 um, but I think the amount of work that's gone on by the national team on that on that um, New Zealand tour but also the Emerging Ireland tour but also keeping track of the players throughout and no doubt conversations with the province as well about where players can be playing and what they can bring so um, I think it's been a lot of hard work that allows them into these positions that they can still put out a very strong um, 23 when it comes. It's a really good point. It, it also feels that there's a huge amount of independent thinking with regards to this Ireland coaching setup they're not necessarily looking at what provincial coaches are doing with players and making their mind up on provincial form. We touched on the Jamison Gibson Park thing there, which was probably the trendsetter in this regard. And I just bring up this point because I'm interested in the likes of Kieran Frawley and Jordan Larmer, where Andy Farrell might be tempted to go in a different direction to how Leinster have been going with these players. Obviously, Kieran Frawley has been well publicised uh, in, in terms of like maybe he wants to play out half. Leinster don't see him as one. But we had Andy Dunn on Monday Night Rugby this week and he was making the point that potentially Andy Farrell sees Larmer as a potential midfielder, which is, would be at odds with how Leinster would would see him uh, certainly as a, as a back three player for, for Leinster. So it feels that Farrell and his team don't necessarily take what's happening at provincial level and say, right, that's the sort of player he is. They're happy to bring him into camp and and make their own mind up on the player. Yeah, and like... I think it comes down to the way they want to play and the skill set of the players that players have. You know, I, I remember listening to Andy Farrell before and he, he talked about the wingers and wanting, you know, he doesn't want tidy wingers, he wants wingers getting involved and that's the likes of Lowe, Mac Hansen and that's probably why the likes of Balakoon hasn't featured you know, in terms of he's that out and out winger pace and things like that. So he's very clear on, on what way he wants to play and the skill set of players that he needs and, you know, I think 
particularly you look at our forwards and their handling skills and their involvements, you know, out on the wing or in the middle of the pitch. He once they have that skill set, he probably feels he can slot them in anywhere and the versatility within the squad um, that he can slot players anywhere. Um, so, you know, and again, it's testament to one, what they see, what they see within a player, but then to, you know, bring them in coach them the way they want to be. And, you know, I think if we look at the likes of James Lowe and, and defensively, defensively was probably very poor and, you know, there was much documented about him and then went away, worked on it. And I, I just, I did a piece there recently enough on a James Lowe's defence and decision-making and defence. And that comes from the coaching and the communication between the player and the coach and what he's looking for. And I think it's a very... I think Ireland at the moment are just so cohesive and it's very clear on what they're trying to do both in attack and defence. And um, that's obviously because of what they've been trying to put in place. And you remember for the first two years, well, I know I was like questioning my cat and what he was doing in the attack and where they were at, where once that England game and that second year when they were in charge and it clicked and it just seems to be evolving and continuously evolving in little layers every every time they get back involved, go back into competition. So, you know, kudos to the coaches, but then likewise to the players. But they just seem to be loving camp and um, that's a really great environment to be in. I know our World Cup in 2014, that environment, just you want to, you're bouncing into camp, you want to be there, you want to be learning and then your performances after that. I know there's disappointment from the World Cup, but, you know, they were still playing good rugby. It's the bounce of the ball. It's a try held up. Uh, it's probably a little bit of errors in in their defence, you know, that allow New Zealand through and a try that we've probably never seen Ireland um, concede before. So they were still playing well at that World Cup and now they just bring it on another level again. Yeah, Jordy Barrett's upper body strength to kill the dream. But like, it's so true what you're saying, Fona, because there's such a feel-good factor around this, this Ireland setup that if, it almost feels like whoever deputises for Hugo Keenan at fullback against Wales, it'll be fine. Like, there's definitely an argument for James Lowe. He has the engine to cover fullback and he has a great boot on him. But who would you ideally like to see line out at number 15 on Saturday week against Wales? Like, I... I think I'd like to see Frawley being given a chance. He was obviously in there for the first game, on, but it was a 6-2 split, so when he got about two minutes at the end of the game. Um, just to see whether he is up to that. Like He's obviously produced it for Leinster um, in a number of different positions, but whether he is up to what they want. But as I said, it, Andy Farrell very, have a very clear picture, and whoever he puts in there um, in that Welsh game, you know, it'll be because he feels that person can fit into the way that Ireland are playing and uh, and do the job for them. The narrative feels after two rounds of games that the only opponent that will stop Ireland retaining the Grand Slam is themselves underperforming. Would you go along with that or is there a greater threat out there? Um, like I don't think there's a better team in the competition than Ireland, but I still look back to England playing absolutely desperate rugby in the World Cup, getting to, I know it was the side of the draw, but still getting to a semi-final, nearly beating South Africa and coming away with bronze medal. And um, I think they're going to continue to improve, but on the face of it, Ireland are certainly the better team playing the better rugby. But isn't that the great thing about sports, that there might be a bit of jeopardy there in Twickenham? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a hell of an occasion. Obviously, if Scotland had won last weekend, it would have potentially set us up nicely for, for the final day against Scotland as well. But it wasn't to be. Listen, Fiona, that was great. Thanks so much for chatting to us this morning. Cheers. Thanks, Mel. That's uh, Fiona Coughlin there, who's an energy ambassador and former Irish rugby international. So, uh, so I always great. love listening to Fiona. I just think the way she talks about rugby is so interesting and the yeah. way she's able to kind of connect the dots between the men's and the women's games and the similarities or the differences it just makes it really interesting to listen to even if you're maybe not all that familiar with the women's game Off the Ball Breakfast With Optimum Nutrition 
the official performance nutrition partners of the Gaelic Players Association and Leinster Rugby.